0: record with Furniture Today, a podcast that goes behind the headlines to look at the news and the newsmakers, the people and the personalities that give the furniture industry its unique flavor. I'm your host, Bill McLaughlin, Editor-in-Chief of Furniture Today.
1: Hi, I'm Trisha Yearwood and you're tuned to Furniture Today's On The Record podcast with Bill McLaughlin. Before we turn to Bill and his guests, I just want to give a shout out to the entire Furniture Today team and remind you that when there's something exciting to announce, you'll read about it first in Furniture Today. And now, here's Bill McLaughlin
0: and On The Record. Welcome to the On The Record podcast. My guest this week is Nikki Baer, Vice President of Innovation at Aptos. Uh, Nikki, I know you're involved in the furniture space already, but for people in the furniture business who might not be as familiar with Aptos, can you just give us um, a little sense of uh, who Aptos is and what you do?
1: Sure, Aptos is an enterprise solution provider that's focused exclusively on the retail industry. So that expands beyond you know all kinds of categories, uh, including home goods and uh, getting into fashion uh, and and specialty. You know we kind of cross the gamut. Anything that has a bit of a fashion component to it at all is something that we care about, uh, and we provide solutions across both the product dimension from uh, design through to delivery to the customer and then uh, we provide commerce solutions as well that connect customers and orders to
0: the products that retailers and brands want to sell. So retail hasn't been disrupted at all by the current pandemic, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, not at all. Not, <laughs> Why are
1: we even talking?
0: <laughs> sure. Um I'd love to get a sense from you, since you do deal with so many retailers, what are some of the things that you're seeing take place? How are you finding retailers adapting to the, the current pandemic? What are some of the things that you're able to work with them on to uh, to adapt?
1: Yeah. And I mean, the disruption is on both sides of the dimensions that I talked about, right? The product side, as well as the customer and commerce side. So. Uh, I think it's interesting uh, and even in, you know, even in the grocery supply chain, you still see where one week, you know, the shelf is full and the next week, you know, toilet paper can't be found yet again. Uh, and I think for every kind of vertical in retail, that, um, that weirdness in the supply chain just is continuing. So uh, I think, you know, consumers are are adapting to the the weirdness that we live in these days Um, but it's easy to forget as a consumer that um you know lots of lots of sourcing decisions lots of inventory decisions all of those things are uh very challenged logistics still very very challenged and then of course on the consumer side there's the behavior are you going to go to a store if you're going to go to a store, are you going to sit on the furniture? (laughs) Are you, uh, what, what are you going to do as far as all of this? And, um, I mean, even looking ahead, you know, uh, Thanksgiving in the U S drives a lot of activity, right? You've got the in-laws who are coming over and, you know, you, you want to make sure that you've got that new dining room table and you've got the new bedroom, guest bedroom that they can stay in and all that. And, you know, if nobody's traveling for Thanksgiving, uh, if the economy is still uncertain and people are not feeling confident in spending money, you know, all of those activities still potentially can be extremely disrupted.
0: So, well, and then also let's let's talk about the, the period of time where people were simply closed down in their homes um, and couldn't shop in, in, in a lot of states. They couldn't shop in stores. E-commerce did really, really well. And I think a lot of retailers who... Um, had been starting that transition, had been trying to get better at e-commerce, are finding themselves now having to accelerate that shift. What are you seeing in terms of um, people trying to make the transition? And what are some of the things that they're coming to you for to help with?
1: Yeah, 100%. Uh, I mean, I, I think the most interesting thing, there's two things that I've heard. The one was from Uh, A brand that said, you know, we've accomplished in in eight weeks what it would have taken us three years to get done. So there's definitely that side of the equation where uh, companies that were already starting down the road, maybe they were taking it slow, you know, feeling it out. There's still there's still been lots of arguments over, you know, fully what's the business case? How much do people really use this, you know, outside of certain use cases and other verticals? Does this really apply to me? Um, you know, I'm I'm going to lose all of the value of the cross sell because, um, you know, consumers um, consumers aren't going to find the products that they're looking for in the same way that they would find them in the store. All of that um, for the re- for the retailers who'd already started down the road, it was definitely a case of all right, we're going to pedal to the metal, we're going to get this done as soon as humanly possible. Um, you know, I've got to I've got to tap into um, ship from store in cases where that's appropriate. I've got to up my game in terms of the product information that I'm putting on e-commerce. I've got to provide a lot more inventory visibility so that you know consumers know when to expect what they're ordering, all of that kind of stuff. And then I think for the retailers who had hemmed and hawed and said, I don't know, I don't really see the business case. Uh, that went out the window, right? When you can't sell anything at all because your store is closed, then you know, suddenly the idea of investing in online or omnichannel channel uh, becomes a no-brainer because <laughs> it's the only way you're going to sell anything. Uh, and so we saw a lot of that as well, just sort of a, you know, we never could make the numbers work um, until we couldn't sell any other way. And then it became a business continuity, a, a risk management thing that we have to do uh, forget about what the business
0: case is. Yeah, the ROI is a little different when your choice is between no return or at least some return, right?
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: um, but as stores have started to to open back up, I mean, my sense is what I've heard anecdotally is the consumer behavior is still not going back to normal. There is still more of a focus on e-commerce. We're still going to see um, – a little bit more, what you might call omni-channel or seamless retail, uh, going on. What are you seeing, and what do you find some of the the better run, the, in other words, in terms of best practices, right? What are some of the the more savvy retailers doing to adapt to this new reality?
1: Yeah, there's definitely um, a couple things. So um, I will say, I will say that for the stores that have reopened. Um, traffic has not come back at the level that it was before, which is not surprising. Sometimes that's mandated. Um, and even when it's not mandated, consumer behavior generally has been to say, I'm, I'm going to stay away. But I, uh, one thing that's been really interesting is that for the people who do show up to a store, the conversion rate in stores is through the roof. Like they're only coming there because they want to buy. Uh, so, so basically, you know, you you've lost all of your browsing, entertainment kind of traffic in the store, uh, and so I think one of the things that that the the companies who've done really well in um, kind of shifting more to that digital first, they've recognized that you know people are still bored and stuck in their home and looking for entertainment in the online space and. Uh, people are starting to say we're gonna run out of TV soon too so <laughs> there's that uh, but they've tried to fill that entertainment gap. so um you know even if it's silly educational stuff um you know here's how you can carve out a home office space in your bedroom um you know tired of looking at your four walls here's how you can you know add a couple things to spruce things up um, those kinds of tips and tricks or um, heck, some retailers are offering summer camp <laughs> to entertain kids. Um, I think the, the the retailers who are saying stop, top of mind are the ones who are um, trying to solve consumer problems, even when they aren't necessarily the lifestyle problems that their brand 100% represents. It's more like, hey, we're all in this together and we're going to do our part to help you out. Uh, and that, that keeps you relevant or when consumers do decide to start to spend, then you become the first one on their list. Um, but to get tactical, you've got to make those, you've got to build those bridges, right? If you're doing something on Facebook, then you've got to have a landing page that captures that traffic when they decide to come to your website. And then you've got to make it easy for them to move from, well, who is this company? Or, um, you know, what why did they do that? Right. You've got to, you've got to connect the dots your brand and to what you sell. You can't just leave it up to the consumer to do
0: that. That raises a really interesting question about, um, for lack of a better word, those handoffs. Even somebody who may go from your social to your landing page, to your website, now that last step is going from the website into the store. And for a lot of retailers, my sense is, and particularly furniture stores, that's the place where they've had some challenges making a smooth handoff. Um, are there companies? Are there solutions? Whether it's you know software or enterprise, you know what kinds of solutions are there to smooth that and to make it truly seamless that transition from the web to the store?
1: Yeah, that's one area where where we definitely play an important role. So, uh, on the commerce side, we've invested a lot in um, in a solution we call Aptos One, uh, which is basically uh, a universal cart. So. Um, when you add things as a consumer to your basket, making sure that that basket can be available from online, pulled into the store. Um, so it's that kind of connection where, you know, giving consumers tools online where they can build a wish list or they can, you know, create collections of things that they want to see. When they do go into the store, you don't want that to be lost to the store associate. You want to give them as much information as they can have in order to pick up that process and where the consumer is in that process so that they could access that cart so that they could add and edit, um, delete, you know, and potentially even close out or save that cart and let the consumer go back home um, and use whatever tools are at their disposal. You know, maybe they need to measure one more time or, um, you know, we've definitely seen a stampede towards augmented reality um, apps where you can try to position things in your house or you can see what that color looks like on your wall or um, any of that kind of stuff, you know, full size. Will this really fit? How does this really look? Um, So trying to bridge that gap with digital tools as well.
0: Interesting. You mentioned trying to make that information available to an RSA. I and mean, one of the things that I know a lot of furniture stores, and I know if you work in the furniture space, you're probably familiar with the up system, right? Whoever comes in, yeah. the, the next guy up gets that. That tends to be a little more challenging in an environment where that first interaction may start online and the consumer may already have engaged with the store, if not with a particular associate. Are, are you from, do you have any? insight into um, how companies are, are dealing with that in this new environment?
1: Yeah, this is one place where I think there's a lot of opportunity, but it involves kind of overcoming some natural biases about um, store associates. So, um, you know, most, most companies are not too excited about their store associates having a digital profile, right? Like that they are an ambassador for the company. Um, but I think that time has come. Like I always ask retailers, uh, you know, would you, would you let your, your store associate control your Twitter account? And almost universally the answer is, Oh my God, no, 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 (laughs) I would never do that. It's like, well, then why are you letting them talk to your customers? I mean, You should be hiring people that you trust enough that you would give them the voice of your brand because you're already giving them the voice of your brand today. So, uh, being able to provide the tools, we've seen some clienteling solutions, um, you know, where, where the store associate can become almost an online affiliate seller. So if you've got a fabulous RSA who is, um, you know, a, Practically a designer in their own right, and um, you know has huge fans for helping them, you know, make their house beautiful. Then they should be sharing all of that experience online and using that and their network to be able to essentially drive their own book of business. And as the retailer, you want to provide those tools so that you have visibility, right? You don't want uh, an employee who takes all that book of business with them if they leave. Um, you know, you want that relationship also ultimately to be with your brand. So, you know, I know plenty of of really great salespeople who do a lot of this stuff all on their own, um, but then when they walk out the door, it walks out with them. And, uh, you know, this environment where you have to be in front of the customer digitally, um, you know, there's lots to be said about giving the comfort level of scheduling an appointment to come into the store instead of the up, you know, who's up next. Mm-hmm. Then um, you know, all of that, all of that puts more more um, more tools in the store associate's hands. Um, and also gives them the ability to to drive a lot more business like all on their own. You're not relying on just the brand to bring traffic into the store. You're really leveraging that the full expertise of that store associate. Well, that was something wasn't it. This is Tricia again for Klausner Home Furnishings. From my very first collection, I knew I'd come to the right place, that Klausner understood what I wanted to do with my furniture, how I wanted to share my recipe for comfortable living with the world. Now, let's get back to Bill McLaughlin and see what he and his guests have to share with us.
0: It's an interesting di- dichotomy. When we talk to retailers about their hiring practices, very often I'll hear them use the analogy, um, we, we think about our Thanksgiving table and is this someone that we'd have over to Thanksgiving? And so when you juxtapose that with you, maybe you'd have them over to your house with your family for Thanksgiving, but you're not going to give them access to the Twitter account. That's a, right. you know, there's, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. It's just, um and I I mean, I, I presume that, you know, you're not just going to turn over the keys to Twitter. There's, there's a training process and there's best practices. And, um, you know, there, there's also, I would think, some technological safeguards or guardrails on that kind of a process, aren't there?
1: Sure. Well, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm being, I'm being a little provocative there in, in talking about like turning over the keys to Twitter, but, um, but I mean, the, the, the point to me is that you, your employees are already the face of your brand. They're the face of your brand for anybody who walks through that door, Uh, you know, and, and the fact that that's somehow okay but to put that face on a web page with a profile, with a way to connect to them directly, um, to let them, you know, record videos of, oh my gosh, look what just came into the showroom, uh, you know, and and to establish direct connections to customers beyond that transaction in the store. I, I mean, for some reason, that's just a completely different world, and it's like, but. They are that. <laughs> they're that already. <laughs> you just don't see it all. <laughs> and and hopefully you've hired somebody that, uh, you know, that, that you would trust with that kind of relationship. Um, but it's funny how many retailers just kind of shut down when you start getting into that conversation. And they're just like, oh, no, I would never do that. It's like, well, then why did you hire them in the first
0: place? <laughs> right. Well, you know, the other thing that, that occurs to me as you say that is, each RSA has their own personality, just as consumers have their own personality, um, and so it allows, I would think, the consumer to feel some kind of identity. Right? They see somebody and they go, ah, oh, I like that guy." They're, they have, and I'll tell you who does this really well. I don't know if you're familiar with Furniture Land South um, here in High Point, North Carolina, mm-hmm. uh, but they actually do just exactly what you're suggesting. They do. They have their um, designers do little videos and talk about their hobbies and the things that they like. And so you can really, the consumer can choose and make an appointment with the person that they identify with before they go in the store. That seems to be exactly what you're advising.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it is a selection process because you want a relationship. So, you know, the, the taking, taking that access to that kind of information away from the consumer or or not providing it in the first place, uh, you're you're actually introducing a, a lot more risk in whether or not they will establish that relationship, you know, kind of going forward. So I would say for sure you want to you want to be able to provide as much information to the the shopper as you possibly can, and um, you know who this this is this is big purchase and this is this is a relationship kind of purchase and. You want to make it as easy as possible to establish those relationships.
0: Well, I would think, too, on the flip side, um, it starts to give you a lot of data on the customer before you ever start to engage with them, right? So you don't have to go through that qualifying process in the store, kind of who are you, what are you looking for, what do you like, what don't you like. Um, I would think that there's a lot of ability to gather insight into that consumer before they ever walk through the door.
1: Yeah, and and being able to provide that um to that store associate when they do walk in the door. Um, I think, I think in, in retail furniture's done a better job of that than other verticals. Uh, I think in other verticals, they've been a little bit more wary about, you know, passing personal information to, um, you know, to more transient kinds of store associates. But, um, but I think, just ensuring that all of that insight, so all of that data that you've gathered, but then turning that into insights that the store associate can quickly use to turn that around as part of the relationship with the consumer is is really important.
0: It, I, my sense is, and, and from what I've read, for younger consumers, too, they expect you to know about them. They want you to curate yeah. that experience. They don't want you to treat them just like somebody generic that you have to ask about. They really want um, that And they're not quite as reluctant to share information about themselves as, um, you know, previous generations.
1: Well, And there can be a lot of frustration with, um, you know, there's that expectation, but then that expectation is fed from, well, you asked me a whole bunch of questions and I engaged with you online. Why do I have to start over with that process with this person when you have that information? I want you to use it because I gave it to you. Right. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs>
0: that's that's a great way to put it. Uh, it's you know, and, and you can almost see someone having that internal conversation as they walk in the store and go through that. Um, as, as we were preparing for the interview, you you talked about something um, you referred to as gray stores. What just for our audience, just kind of uh, run run me through what you mean by that and what its relevance is in today's market. Yeah,
1: so uh, it's funny because. Um, for for furniture, I would say furniture is the ultimate gray store, (laughs) actually, already. Uh, It's really the idea of a showroom. Um, It's that you are 100% showroom, um, you know, maybe you sell a little bit of stuff out of the store directly, but for the most part, it's a big fulfillment operation out of the back. Um, And for, you know, for lots of other verticals, um, they've never really approached it that way. I mean, in in apparel, for example, I think Bonobos was probably one of the first in the modern era to really only have clothing that you could try on for size, but then you ordered the clothing and then they shipped it to your house. Um, I mean, that's a model that has pretty much operated forever in furniture. Um, you know, even down to potentially making it when you ordered it, um, which would be really relatively unheard of in the, in the fashion world. But, um, yeah, the the idea that there are shades of gray in what goes into that store footprint is, um, I think, what, what's really important to pay attention to. Um, you know, is it is it going to be actually just a warehouse and I might have a front room where consumers can come in and, and browse through a catalog, but I'm not actually going to put anything out there. Um, you know, is it going to be a store where you cash and carry and, and then there's a whole bunch of potential footprints in between. Um, and that term really just refers to that. I think for, um, for outside of furniture, that's a, that's a novel concept, uh, but it's basically the operating model of a furniture store.
0: How do you see that, uh, that model evolving in the world that we face today?
1: Oh my gosh. I you know Yeah, right. to get uh, your crystal bowl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well and and as you were asking that, um, I saw this morning, um, this has this is as far away from furniture as you can get, but I saw this morning that Wawa, which if you're familiar with them, they're a convenience store that's mm-hmm. mostly in the northeast. Yeah. Um, so they're opening a drive through only convenience store. So it's, it's all the stuff that you would normally get from a Wawa store, but you either order online and then just drive through to pick up, or you literally drive up like it's a McDonald's and you place your order and then you drive forward and you get your order, but they just pick it all for you. So, um, I mean, I think one thing that the pandemic has shown is that, um, is that we can be way more creative about store formats than we ever have before and you know in furniture uh, one one possibility here um i know this is this is more challenging because anytime you move a big piece around you really got to worry about the, the scratch and dent factor and, and doing this well but like nordstrom uh came out with these inventory list stores, um which was actually a little bit of a misnomer what happened is they put them in neighborhoods where they did not have a large enough population of shoppers to justify a full store. And it's basically an empty room with some shelves and some seating area and some fitting rooms. But you as the consumer, you order stuff and then they ship it to that location. And then you go in and you try it on or you do whatever. And you decide what of that am I going to keep and buy? And what of it am I going to send back? Um, And so you basically they're, they're bringing the store to you. So is there a a future where uh, instead of having, you know, a big old warehouse with a showroom on the front, you've got this empty space that um, you either use as event space and set up, you know, like, hey, do you want to know the difference between, um, I don't know, uh, um, uh, I can't think of the term of, you know, Uh, this fashion trend versus that fashion trend, mm -hmm. um, you know, we'll, we'll show you what those two different looks look like. Right. Um, Functional industrial versus relaxed industrial. That's what I was grasping for. Uh, You know, I'll show you what the difference is between the two. um, And then you set them up in this sort of little mini showroom that you only fill with inventory for that particular event or purpose, or you have a consumer who says, well, I really want a living room and I want to see what it looks like with this couch. And, you know, I'll bring the couch and I'll bring the accessories and we'll mix in and out a bunch of different looks and you can see what that looks like. And then you can decide to take it home or not.
0: You know, it's, Potential it's, future. it's really interesting that you mentioned that. Um, I had a, a guest last week who's, uh, and they're an expert in operations, right? So they help stores uh, do everything from you know pop-ups and re-merchandising, they've been helping people who have to you know re- reset their stores to accommodate social distancing and hand sanitization stations and signage and all of that and one of the things that uh, that they the gentleman was talking about was very specifically pop-ups as as an alternative and as something that's being used and is likely to be be used because it it extends your footprint Potentially into markets that you're not in. It extends your brand. Um, it gives you a way to introduce yourself to uh, to additional customers, and and to target on a more individual basis. It's it's very much like what you just described. So it's interesting to have two guests coming from two completely different <laughs> perspectives, talking about the same trend. So listeners, if if you're out there and you're listening to this podcast, that's noteworthy. When you get people from two different disciplines who are triangulating on the same thing that says there's, there's a real opportunity there. That's, that's really interesting.
1: And I promise I didn't actually listen to that one beforehand either.
0: (laughs) Well, to be perfectly honest, and here's a little, here's a little thing I'll share with our listeners. You couldn't have because I only recorded it. It hasn't been released yet. So I was taking advantage Ah, of the fact that this podcast will be released after that one to pretend, right. We're playing with the, we're moving through time and space. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and using the, the magic of recording technology but uh, I mean essentially it's interesting to see that as a trend so yeah
1: no that's great and and I would agree I mean I think it's um, every vertical is is thinking about that kind of how do I push the edge where can I go um, how can I go to the places that I couldn't afford to go to before um, what can I do to make that affordable for me to go there and, and that pop up concept is is definitely a clear
0: answer to that question. Are there some things that you're seeing being done in other verticals that you think might have been overlooked or might have application in the future for the furniture business?
1: I uh, well well we got to the the Nordstrom example as well. Yeah, one. that was a really great uh, one. I think I think um, you know I would look to beauty and the things that beauty are doing to really bring their products to life, um, you know, they really struggle with color, um, and then and then they don't struggle quite so much with fit, as in does it fit in my house. Uh, but fashion definitely struggles with fit as well, as in does it fit on my body. Um, and I think you know, trying to find the right digital tools that overcome those challenges when you don't actually get to touch and feel and try on or sit on or apply. Um, you know, beauty is one that has been hit really hard because their business is driven uh, enormously by sampling and they just can't offer those samples uh, in in hardly any way, shape or form other than, you know, the most expensive way of delivering them to their customers. So uh, I would definitely look to the AR and the color matching, uh, color in different lights and, and the investment that they've made to try to overcome how to communicate that to consumers when all you've got is a screen in order to do that.
0: That's a really, really good one. Um, before I let you go today, and I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and share your knowledge, um, are there any other best practices that you've seen uh, as you've worked with companies as they transition through this period that you think, might be overlooked or people should really kind of think about
1: well i think it goes back to the giving the digital face to the store associate uh, i mean we've seen a lot of retailers experiment with live streaming um or even just facetime or whatsapp with consumers um putting that live um that live call but video in front of consumers um you know, it, it just it really gives that personality. It does so much more than an email or a Facebook post or even a short video. Having that live interaction uh, is really important, I think. And I think you know we're we're all a little lonely and weirded out, so it adds a definite um, human element to everything. You know, to try to assuage some of that. Um, I wouldn't underestimate the power of that. And we have seen some retailers who have either hacked their way through, you know, through some of these, um, you know, social media kinds of tools. And we've seen retailers make investments with the appointment setting and the video time and, um, and all of that, where it's a little bit more formalized, but I would say don't underestimate the power of that.
0: Terrific. Nikki, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, Hope we get a chance to talk post pandemic and we can talk about how, how things have changed again. Uh, my guest is, was Nikki Baird, Vice President of Innovation at Aptos. Thanks so much. Have a great day.